Thank you this morning for the word of grace that you have for us to inspire us, to encourage us, to correct us, to admonish us, Lord, to chasten us, to exhort us. Lord, you're just you're you're going to correct us this morning. And we're going to freshen up in our faith things that we had laid down. We're going to pick them back up and new Lord, new realms, new frontiers that we've never explored. You're going to bring those to us, each one of us individually. You're going to speak to us by Holy One, and we will be refreshed. We thank you for the anointing and the grace of God for this transaction today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, let's, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 28. We're ministering on a subject that's a little provocative in its title, and that title is, I'm Always Right. Let's say it together. I'm always right. Now, hold your hand up somewhere so you'll be demonstrative. I'm always right. When you do that, that means you're, you're in. I'm always right. Amen. Well, y'all know what gospel means? Do y'all know what that, that word actually means? It means good news. And so we know that in the New Testament, the good news is that the bad news is wrong. So there's lots of bad news out there, and I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about in churches, I'm talking about where they say they're preaching the good news, but it's not good news. It's it's uh, you're, you're almost better off not to go because you you'll have to get past uh, what there's preached. But the good news is that the bad news is wrong. So we're not against them. We just say we wish you all would straighten up because the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads men to change. It's the goodness of God. God's not whamming us. He's not judging us. He's not correcting us in the sense of retribution, of, of punishment. He's bringing every good thing that heaven has. Every single day, he's bringing it into your life. He's, he's like pressure where they have pressurized wood, uh, where they put it in a tank with, uh, with this chemical in the water, and they, then they take the pressure up, and it forces that chemical into the wood and causes it to be preserved or a preservative. Well, that's what's happening to us. The Lord's putting in you and I what we need to make it through the hard times. So we say that the good news is knowing who you are at the new birth. There's really no other good news because if you don't know that, then if you hear good news, you'll forget the good news or you won't work the good news. Everything is based on the foundation of what happened at the new birth to me and to you. What happened then and now what's happening now? Did it wear off? Is it a... Is it just kind of a starter kit? Uh, you know, lots of religions, uh, faiths say that we don't need the Holy Ghost anymore because the Lord used that to get the church started, and now we're all mature. God help us if we're all mature. Hallelujah. The church is everything. The Bible says in Mark 7, verse 8, that there's only one thing more powerful than the Word of God. There's only one thing more powerful than truth. Did you know there's something that's more powerful than truth? The Bible says, the Lord Jesus said, Mark 7, 8, he said, For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. Tradition of men. So our traditions are more powerful than truth. Because if you believe them, they take precedent, priority in your life over truth. You won't believe the truth because you're beholden to and loyal to the tradition of men. And we're all fighting the tradition of men in our, 
in our lives. We're all got a culture of some kind in our life from growing up or being who we married or who we're exposed to, where we go to church, an influential uh, person in our family, what they believe was imparted to us and it had authority. So we're all in some sort of culture that's got traditions of men. We, we could call it a truth bucket. Is everything in your truth bucket true? Well, I, I suggest that it's as true as we want it to be. But as we keep taking stuff out and quit assuming that it didn't work, it was us, but it didn't work because it wasn't truth. Truth always wins. God is love. God is truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So he always wins. There's always a way to win. But the traditions of men, if they step in front of truth, you'll believe that lie, that, uh, that uh, fallacy, and you'll not have victory in your winning. In uh, John 8, 32, it says, you shall know the truth. What happens after that? The truth will set you free. The truth you know, that you know, that you believe as a conviction, you are persuaded that truth, not just a preference, not just something that you know casually and on top of your uh, uh, thinking, but the truth that's rooted down in here, it will set you free. Amen. How free? As free as Jesus was. That's real free. <laughs> well, in Proverbs chapter 28, we're looking at I'm always right. There's a lot of things you can say and do about that. But what we're moving towards is I'm always righteous. I'm always on the right side of things because of who I am. So in chapter 28, verse 1, it says the wicked flee. Read it with me. Ready, read. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. But the righteous are bold as a lion. Powerful, powerful statement. It tells us the cause and effect of things. Why do the wicked flee? Well, because they don't know they're righteous. Why are the righteous bold as a lion? Because they know what, how it's going to turn out. Do you know how some stuff's going to turn out? Yeah. COVID's everywhere. And people say, we don't know how it's going to turn out. We assume that eventually it'll track us down and get us. But we would assume that we have a basis for saying, I know how this is turning out for me. Maybe not for you or the world or other people, but for me, we say, can't touch me. Can't touch me. So you've got you to have a basis for it. Otherwise, you're just, you never know what God's going to do or you never know what's going to happen in the world. Christians, based on this, the wicked flee when no man pursue. Christians that don't know they're righteous. I'm just, I'm just retranslating this first part of this verse. Christians that don't know they're righteous are afraid. Would that be a fair reassessment of that first part, the wicked flee when no man pursue? Christians, even Christians that are righteous, but don't know they're righteous because the traditions of men have told them they're a worm and not even a good worm. Sorry, little worm. They are afraid. And if you look out there, your friends, your family, you'll say they're the scaredest people on the planet. They are in fear about everything, and there's no certainty in their life. They're just a wave, uh, 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 a buoy on a wave, tossed to and fro. James says they can't hope to receive anything from God. So we got to know who we are if we don't want to be afraid. Fear is everywhere. Fear is everywhere. And it's because there's no confidence in God. The thing that bothers me or perplexes me more than just about anything in the kingdom 
is how tithers can be afraid of their financial future. It just means they're not tithing. It just means they're being separated from their money. You can be separated from your money and not tithe. Because it's an act. It's a, it's a reaction to lordship. Jesus is Lord. I react and say, there's plenty more where this came from. Plenty more where this came from. I'm a, I'm a son of righteousness. You're a daughter or son of righteousness. So there's plenty more where father is. There's plenty more. But tithers that, that are separated from their money, tithers in, in amounts only, that are afraid don't know what's going to happen financially. And they're afraid. They're, 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 they're antsy. They're, like the, they're just like the world. And so they're protecting their 401k or they got money under the mattress or whatever, which, hey, I'm all about that. That's a yay. We're not, we're not disparaging into that, but I'm saying that is the source of their hope. And all of that stuff is frail, fragile, fleeting and passing away. So we're, we're saying we don't want to be afraid. We don't want to be scared. We don't want to have a, 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 a thing on our life that guides and directs what we can and can't do. I, I can't do that. I'm afraid. Well, why can't you? Well, I just don't know how it's going to turn out. Well, the righteous know how it's going to turn out. So we can step into things that other people wouldn't dare step because we know how it's going to turn out. Yay. So... Uh, they're the, the righteous that don't know they're righteous, they have a confidence. For some reason, they have a confidence they're going to go to heaven. And that's the only thing they're confident about. But yet, and, and even that, uh, I've met Christians that have been Christians for 40, 50 years and just go to church all the time and listen to every message and get sick and get on the edge of their life and say, I hope I've done enough. I hope I've done enough. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. So we, we, we've already done enough. We made Jesus our Lord, became the righteousness of God in Him. We've done enough. Now, definitely it affects your reward system. If you just got saved on your deathbed and say, I, I received Jesus, and then you blinked and you were gone, the rewards are going to be a little scarce. <laughs> but at least you're over there. Hallelujah. <laughs> But uh, we're in a system of religion right now where everything is based on the hereafter. Everything is based on the hereafter and uh, nothing really on the right now. Uh, the BBE version, I told you I didn't know what that meant before and I didn't find out. It says, but the, right, uh, but the upright are without fear. And that word without fear means fearless. Point yourself and say, be fearless. Be fearless. That's your, that's your goal. Demons, devils are afraid of me. I walk in the room and it changes the atmosphere. That's what happened to the Lord Jesus. They said, ah, are you going to uh, send us before the time? Whatever the word is there. You know, are you going to, what are you going to do to us? Because he was just there and they started reacting. You got to be fearless. The word says that the upright are without fear. They're fearless. They're confident. They're carefree, and they're secure. Well, you go, how, how do you do all that? Do you, do you take a motivational class? No, you just find out who you already are in Christ Jesus. It's not like I got to do something. It's like I got to know something. I got to know what happened at the new birth. When I said, Jesus, come into my life, I surrender. You are the Lord of my life. What happened? 
Because obviously, if you like chocolate before, you still like chocolate. And if you didn't do very good in math, you probably are still going to stumble over a few figures. It, it didn't change that. And if, if you're ugly, no, we won't go there. Uh, if you're pretty, you'll still be pretty. That's what we'll say. It didn't change any of that. So people are mesmerized or they are uh, mistaken when they say nothing happened because their sense realm couldn't measure it, couldn't sense it. And so they say, I don't know that anything happened. Well, how do you know what happened? You got to read the book. Because this is the only thing that you can know what happened. There's no other sensory experience. There's no other uh, uh, validation that'll tell you what happened to you on that day. Because there's no feelings involved. There's no sparkle or no clingy, uh, 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 prickly feeling or anything like that. Nothing happened. No stars came around, no bright light. It might happen to a few, but it's rare, rare, rare. Nothing happened. But on the other hand, everything happened. It's just in this inner man, this, this hidden man of the heart, where it all happened. And so we gotta, we got to believe the book. If you don't believe the book, then you're just a fearful person, insecure person. You, you, don't, you don't have any more hope for the future except you're going to say, I'm going to heaven. But if you don't believe the promises that can be validated, that can be proven, how do you really know if you're going to go to heaven? Really, they don't. It's just what's preached day in and day out, Sunday in and Sunday out, that we're going to, we're going to tell you about heaven and you're going to live your life under a hard yoke, but someday we'll get to the other side, and that's where worms go when they've been good worms, and we'll all go over there and be in a little cabin on the hill. Forget that thing in John that says mansions. Hallelujah. So most churches major on the hereafter, and they skip, they're silent on winning the right now. So, therefore, we have no witness. Those kind of Christians have no witness because they look at you and they say, you look just like me. You act just like me. You run just like me away from trouble. You're fearful. You're, you're, you're troubled. You're depressed just like me. So why would they want to be just like you? We are a demonstration by what we do, what we say and do here on the earth. Even though we're, we're going to heaven... We have a victory here on the earth, and that is the difference. Your testimony is your witness to other people. Not preaching on the street corner, turn or burn, get right or get left. That does nothing, or very little, I think. Uh, so you got to know what happened when you gave your life to Jesus, because the feelings will get fainter and fainter about that day. You know, we talk about it all the time. You know, you go on a diet on Monday, and she makes that chocolate cake, your favorite, on Thursday, and you have blown up on Friday. <laughs> you ate the whole thing. <laughs> diet? What diet? I didn't go on a diet. I didn't say anything about a diet because we get waylaid. Same thing with this. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Would you turn there with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm always right. Even when I feel wrong, when other people tell me I'm wrong, even when I mess up, actually miss the mark, I'm always right. Because it's not, because who I am is not based on what I do, it's based on what I did with Jesus. So, you know, we could say this, 
so many Christians are basing their performance, what they're doing, thinking, behaving, or not doing, not going to church, not reading the Bible or whatever, they say that is a factor whether they get to go to heaven or not. It's performance. So if you hadn't done anything in a long time, matter of fact, you've been a grump grump and you're a mean mean and, and everything, there's no way me that's going to church every day and praying and bringing my money in, no way I'm going to heaven and you're going to heaven. There's a great gulf between us. But the truth is, if you're born again, it already happened. It already happened. And what you do after that is irrelevant. Now, sin's going to gobble you up. If you don't serve God, if you don't walk by the, by the word, you're going to heaven, but sin's going to gobble you up. You're going to have a hard life, just like the world. So we are very motivated to seed time and harvest, for instance. We're going to say, if I sow it, I'm going to reap it. It can't be changed. It can't be limited. It can't be negotiated. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It is, it is more powerful than gravity. It's more steady than the sun coming up. So if you don't sow right, you're not going to reap right, and you're going to have a hard life until you can die. Isn't it a shame you have to die to, get, to have a good life? Sure going to miss a lot of fun because we all really like to live. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's look in verse 21. Let's read it together. I'm in the King James. Ready, read. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So here the Bible tells you what happened at the new birth. When you surrendered to Jesus, no sparklies, no tinglies, no, no bright lights, just you said it. Your heart was full at that moment. You felt a release that something had happened inside. You had committed your heart to the Lord. And then you went to bed that night and got up the next day. You go like, well, I don't have that same feeling the next day. And I'm, you know, it's just a little like, was that real or whatever? He said something happened to you at the new birth. That you were an unrighteous sinner with no hope of reconciling your life. No hope. Of, of pleasing God whatsoever, suddenly you're God's favorite. Suddenly you're seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. Suddenly you're, you're, you're the, you're the, he's the Lord of lords, you, and he's the king of kings, us. Jesus is the preeminent one. He's the first one among equals, if you can say that. He's the firstborn from the dead, but we're, hot, we're something hot on a stick. I hope that's right. I hope you can say that. <laughs> We're good stuff anyway. Hallelujah. Nah, we just ignored that. We're in Alabama. You can get away with just about anything. Hallelujah. The, tw the passion says, For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, look, look, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with Him. Something happened. At the new birth, when you decided, when you decided, when I decided to, to change my life, not saying I'll do better, Lord, and I won't do bad things, Lord, and I'll, uh, my, not a behavior thing, but a lordship thing. I'm on the throne, I'm directing traffic in my life, and suddenly I turn it over to the Lord Jesus and say, I'm going to do the best I can to make you the Lord of my life. I'm doing it in heart, and I'll follow through as much as I can indeed.
So something's working inside of you and me right now. On bad days, on good days, on indifferent days, on terrible days, something is working in us. And the Bible calls it the righteousness of God. Sounds like it's somebody that's getting along with God, that there's a deal, there's a connection, there's a covenant, there's, a, there's something going on that wasn't, but now is. So in a moment of time, we got born again, but we're changed forever. Do you feel changed? Not at first. You have to walk by faith and not by your senses, not by how you feel. So believing that I'm the righteousness of God makes me live as the righteousness of God all the rest of my life. Believing is the key to living. If I ever get up and say, I feel wormy today, I must be wormy today. You're not going to have a good day. But if you say, bless God, uh, the angels just woke up because I woke up, and the devil just woke up because I woke up, and he is trying to figure out a way to maneuver out of my way. Hallelujah. So here's the question. Turn with me to John chapter 10, please. John chapter 10. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Don't get that mixed up with your own righteousness. Don't get that mixed up with good works or I've been doing real good. I feel pretty righteous now. I think that God's given me attaboys, and uh, he's probably pretty happy with me. Well, if you get it that way, then when, he's, when you're not doing good, you have to get it taken away. So something happened. God is pleased with me because he's pleased with Jesus. And I took Jesus and put him in me, and he took me and put, it in, put me in him. Suddenly, we're in agreement. We're in union like those scrambled eggs we talked about, you know, break two eggs, put them together, whisk them up, and all of a sudden you can't find the end of one and the beginning of the other. That's what we are in Him. So therefore you can't, you can't be unborn again. That's, that's the fallacy of people saying, I hope I, hope I did enough. It, it's not a judgment thing where God's saying, that looks like a D- minus to me. One more bad move, son, and you're going to be over in the F column. You're going to be over in the failing column, and hell is where you're going to go. That's how people think. But it's like, like son, son, don't do that anymore. It's, it's hard on everybody. It's hard on you. It's hard on the kingdom. Don't do that anymore, but you're still my favorite. You go, well, that doesn't sound right. That's God. Everything that we get good from the earthly father came from him. So why? here's the question. You know this. We talk about it all the time, but let's just say it again. Why did Jesus come? Everybody knows why Jesus come, came. Everybody knows that. You know what it is? Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Tradition of men, he came to forgive me of my sin. He came so I could leave a, after a hard life, I could go to heaven. Could we get a point for that on the board saying, that's why Jesus came. He came to forgive me of my sin. He came to take me to heaven after a hard life. Does that pretty much describe how we've all one time thought? But that's not what the Bible says. Say the Bible says. says. We got to go by what the Bible says because we don't know anything. We don't know anything about this realm except what the word says. We have no experience in this realm. We have no mentor that came and said, well, you know, here's how it works. We don't have anything to connect us to how things are 
other than the Word of God? Nothing. Nothing. So Jesus said in chapter 10 of, verse of John, he said, The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. So now we know why the devil came. But then he said, I am come. So that would be real important to know that after those three words, I am come, we would know why Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? He said, I've come to forgive you of your sins so you can go to heaven after a hard life. It's not what he said. I'm going to go with Jesus. He said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. That's why Jesus came. Well, what about sin? Well, now sin is in the process. He can't bring you abundant life until he deals with sin. But you could he could come and deal with our sin and we would never have an abundant life. We'd just be forgiven sinners. Forgiven sinners, but that doesn't mean a forgiven sinner doesn't have anything more than an unforgiven one in the realm of the eternal. You're just you're still sinners. So he came that we might have life. The word their life is the word zoe, Z-O-E. And the definition of that is it's life as God has it and life as God lives it. Well, I'd say that was top shelf life. It wasn't that mediocre uh, third-class lieutenant angel, his life. It's that top-shelf stuff that Jesus said, that's what I have come for. I have it, and I've come to give it. What kind of life is that, Lord Jesus? The same life I got from the Father, from God himself, life as he has it, and life as he lives it. Well, that's why he came. That's why he came. Everything else that happens, like forgiveness of sin, is a process that is worked out in the mechanics of he has come to bring us life. So in order for us to have life, he's going to have to forgive us of our sin. But that's not why he came. Amen. So, uh, there's more than just having a happy ending to a hard life. He said, I've come that you might have life right now. Right now. Say it with me. Right now. So if we don't have a good life right now, he came in vain for me. If I live an old sinful life, even though I'm born again, going to heaven someday, but I just, I, I just have a hard life, tough life, not much joy, die early or die hard. He came for me to have a good life, but if I don't take it by believing it and activating it, I don't have any more than a sinner. So it's on me, isn't it? It's on you. It's on us. Jesus did it, and he didn't say, if you'll believe, I'll bring it. He said, I already brought it. Will you receive it? Will you believe it? And so we say yes. Now, Jesus did forgive us of our sin. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God that what? Taketh away the sin of the world. So Jesus did, when he came to bring us life, in that process of bringing this life, he did take away the sin of the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus solved the sin problem. There's not a sin problem if you know there's not a sin problem. But if you don't know that he came to bring you life, you're going to live in death even though someday you're going to get to go to heaven. 
So uh, Zoe, the life of God, let's read that, sin, that verse again at the end of it. I am come that they might have Zoe life as God lives it, and get this, and that they might have it more abundantly. What does your version say? Anybody got a different little ending to that? More abundantly till it overflows? Y'all are all King James this morning? Oh, what a good group you are. What do you got, Melissa? Might have it abundantly. Some of them say till it overflows. Your cup runneth over. So everything, it, it's a need meter. It's, it's, it's like almost to the top, but we have a couple of things that God didn't take care of. Nope, it's flowing over. It's abundant. It's, it's over the top. Everything that could ever come up, everything that could be stolen, killed, and destroyed, Jesus said, I got that. It's just a spring that bubbles up and comes over. I've already taken care of everything you will ever face. He said, and I've done it the way God would do it. So here on earth, we're dealing with, in our unrighteousness, by making Jesus Lord becoming righteous, we have tapped, we have accessed heaven itself. Everything that happens in heaven, where God lives, heaven, where he lives, where everything's perfect and abundant and living and, and, and flowing, he said, I got that flowing out of your life, out of your innermost being flow rivers of living, living Zoe life. Well, how come nobody knows this? It's in the book. You got to read the book. You got to believe the book that you read. You can't have somebody preach it and you never look in the book. Well, whose fault is that? It's my fault. Because I have the book. In China, you know, the underground church, they might have one Bible for 500 or 1,000 people. And so they've taken it completely apart, and every time they meet, they change pages to somebody else. And so you have Isaiah 16 this week, and you have Revelation 4 next Sunday. And they guard it like it's their only child. It's precious. It's, it's the only life they have, and they have one Bible among just lots of people. And it's just, it's life itself. And here I got, I got tw- if I don't have 12 Bibles in my home office, I'd be misstating it. And then I got 12 more in my church office. And then I got it online. Y'all got it online, a, a blue letter Bible and a, and a uh, what's that other one? The gateway. Everywhere. We got the word Everywhere. And yet we probably know less than the people in China in the underground church that have one page at a time. And so shame on us. That thing which is scarce becomes valuable. And we need to make it valuable. Hallelujah. So uh, we are capable, we are wired to live a life just like Jesus. Matter of fact, he said in John, he said, the works I do, greater works will you do because I go to the Father. He said, Holy Spirit's going to come. I'm in one place at one time, but Holy Spirit's going to be everywhere because he's going to be in you, in you and on you. So I'm one dimensional in the sense of presence, but he'll be everywhere. You know, when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he was not in uh, somewhere else. Couldn't think of one Bible, Decia or Capernaum. He, he was in Jerusalem. He was not in Capernaum. But Holy Ghost was, and he is. 
So he said, greater works will you do. Better than that? As good or better? You can't even get your head around it. Because we know the Lord Jesus. And we go, no, Lord, not, not more. He said, yeah, more. Because the Holy Ghost. That's right. we got the Word, and we got the Holy Ghost. And it's not based on, well, I'm a worm. It's based on what you can do with what you know. I know I'm the righteousness of God. Doesn't mean I always do this or don't always do that. It has nothing to do with performance. It has nothing to do with what I do. It has everything to do with what I believe that He already did. So what do we need to concentrate on? What is our focus? Knowing who we are. There's no other thing to study. There's no, well, the archaeologically says that this town had this pot and they fought this war. That has nothing to do with you. Leave it alone. I hate to even say stay out of the Old Testament, but unless you got overflow time and you just want to be complete in Him, if you just got so much time, you need to stay in the New Testament. And the Gospels are there to tell you how much God loves you. Jesus was there saying, God loves you. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. But the epistles are to tell what happened to you and I at the new birth. Who are you? Because you don't know. I don't know. I don't know who I am. I wouldn't know who I was. I'm a Billings, but I wouldn't know that if my parents hadn't told me. I could have been passed around to 16 families before I was three, and I wouldn't know because I was three. But they told me, well, we had you, and we had you here, and we, we lived here, and we, we raised you here, and you go, I believe you. So I'm in this family, and they did this, and my dad does that, and I look like this cousin or whatever. But if I didn't have that, I wouldn't know, would you? You wouldn't know. You would know you weren't a Jones or a, 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 a Smithton or whatever. You just are what you know. Same thing with the Word. you got to go find out who you are. And stay away from the tradition of men. In verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I, I moved you out of that, or I may have. We're talking about, I'm always right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Back, we just looked at verse 21. Let's look in verse 17. Now you know this. This is all to have all sorts of stars and lines and arrows and, and uh, highlighters in this. But this is important. This is... This is ground zero for who you and I are. It says in verse 17, ready, read it with me, King James, ready, read. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, what if that was true? What if this verse was true? What if it is actually an account of you and I what happened for us, and then what happened to us. What if that was true? Well, it would change everything. It would take wormdom out of our life. It would take failure. It would take our past, our experience, our mistakes. Our It'd take all of that out and would just wash it away, and we'd start brand new, a do-over. Now, when I moved from Texas, I was a good boy, and I pastored out there 14 years. But as in everything, like your family and, and people you know, people get an opinion about this or you get crossways with that and just like you got, you got a little contingency out there that says this, that, and the other. Well, when I moved to Alabama, they all stayed. So everybody in Alabama said, what a good boy. You know, I mean, until I got 
got it going. And then I had people say, ah, not that good. Hallelujah. We don't believe that. We don't. But anyway, I got a do over. Well, you and I got a do over. Turn the page. It's new start. So I was, but now I'm not. I did, but now I'm not. I, I remember this. You know, if you were abused or if you were raised in poverty and or if you were whatever, 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 we got a do-over. It says in the uh, Passion Version, uh, excuse me, let's see where I am, the Amplified, we'll do that first. It says, a new creature altogether, the old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. The old condition has passed away. It was destroyed. Now, uh, the passion says he has become an entirely new creation. Would you say that with me? Entirely new creation. Now, what if that was true? It says all that is related to the old order has vanished, vanished, has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. This changed your life. You go, I already know all this. You don't know it until you're living it. You only know what you're willing to live. Knowing is not, it's just knowledge. But your life is based on what you're willing to do. It says in the TEV, the, uh, probably the English version. Today's English version, thank you. You know, I, I just got a, I got little notes here. <laughs> it helps me, but I don't know what TEV is. I just look it up and like it. He is a new being, the old is gone. He is a new being, the old is gone. The cotton patch but you don't have that in your file. It says, therefore, if a man is a Christian, he's a brand new creation. The old guy is gone. Y'all like cotton patch, don't you? The old guy is gone. Look, a new man has appeared. <laughs> the old man is gone. The old guy is gone. Now, this is significant because we have no other evidence about this happening in our life experientially. We have no old stories that says, well, God did this and that. We only have what God wrote down. And it's consistent. It never uh, contradicts itself. There are people that have said it does, but they're wrong. You've you got to be spiritually discerning to be able to figure it out. But nevertheless, it's worthy. It's trustworthy, and it's good for you. Uh, so here's, now here's my question this morning. Now, y'all got to hang in here with me. You've got, you got to give me a little room. Don't turn me off until I get to the other end of it. Uh, let me ask you the question, when is the exact moment you became righteous without a sin nature? You know, you, you had a sin nature, I had a sin nature, but then now we're the righteousness of God. What is the exact moment that you went from having a sin nature, the old man, the old guy, to going to a new guy, old things passed away, behold, all things are become new. When did that happen? The new birth. Say new birth. Now, how long did it take? How long did it take to dissolve away that yucky, that nasty, that old man you and I were, that, that all our piled up sin and all of our, everybody doesn't like us and we did this and that. How long did it take? It was instant. The word calls the twinkling of an eye. It's a tenth of a second, not long. We went from being nasty, going to hell, Nasty, unable, unable to live a straight and moral and conscientious life to absolutely flawless, perfect, 
victory every time we step out the door. It happened just like that. Now, people want to drag it out and say, I'm getting better. I'm doing better. But it, you're not doing better. You're just walking in what you already have better. But it all happened in the, the full force of what you are happened in the moment of time. It's not like, well, God's working on me. No, he's not. He worked on you. Now you're working on you. I'm working on me to do what I know to do and get, let that flesh, this flesh that I still kept. Y'all know we kept the old body. And you know we kept the old soul, the mind, the will, the emotions, the intellect. We kept that too. So if you had part of that that wasn't that quick, it's probably not that quick when you get through. But we have an antidote to that, the mind of Christ that influences our head from down in here. Things that we don't acquire in knowledge, but is transmitted to us by the grace of God. It starts working up in here, and all of a sudden we know things. We know things. We read in the Word, but then all of a sudden we know things that we didn't read because we have the mind of Christ. We access heaven. We access the mind of God. So, so you and I were converted and became, became, not through working out our sins. Oh, God, I did it. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? None of that. Instantly, that stuff was just washed out of the way without us asking for it, without us saying, God, I'll do better. I won't do these bad things anymore. The sinner man is gone. Right now, the moment you said, Jesus, come into my life, I make you Lord, sin's gone. Now, let me tell you something that's pretty amazing. I know you know it, but let's just think through it. If the sinner man is gone and the new man has come, the new man is not a forgiven old man. He's not a modified old man. He's not a acceptable old man. In other words, he's not a car that you paint and say, look at this new car. Uh, completely taken out of the way. Now, we don't know. The Bible doesn't seem to say where the old man that we were goes. But the Bible does say he was destroyed. Brother Hagin used to say annihilated. There's something about annihilated that puts a little force in there. So destroyed, annihilated, removed. He was removed. So who we were has no presence in who we are. You go, well, everybody knows that. Well, sure we do. But living it is another thing that tells us we don't really know it. It's in the knowledge realm. So here's, here's the deal. If you pick up any tract, any tract that says, you know, do you want to get saved? Do you want a new life with God? Every one of them that I've ever found, and I look at every one of them, it says, pray this prayer. Ask God to forgive you of your sin. Now, that's wrong. Because when you're a sinner, everything is sin-ish. But you're not under anything with God. You do, everything you do, all you, every thought you think, everything you do, every plan you make, None of it's God-blessed, because you're a what? You're a sinner. You're without God. You can't pray any prayer, God, if you'll, you're a sinner. God, if you'll help me, if you'll get me out of this, I promise I'll serve you and do this, that, and the other. You have no legal access. You have no legal entry into the presence, the mind, and the will of God. Only one thing that a sinner can do, 
There's only one faith avenue, and that is to be born again. A sinner has no access to God. Now, God is way merciful, and He does those things we just talked about. Somebody cries out to God, but it's not because He's making a deal. Well, He said He'll serve me. I, bingo, I pick you. That, it has nothing to do with that. It's His mercy. But you still have to receive Jesus, don't you? You still have to be born again. So it's not like God made a deal and I didn't have to get born again because I said I'd serve him. That, that never happened. So a sinner can't ask God to forgive his sins in order to get born again because he's a sinner and his whole life is sin. We're without God. And the sin that the sinner has is not, well, I drank too long and I smoked too long and I ran around with the girls that do. None of that is sin in the sense of you can collect it and say, okay, God, we're going down the list. I'm going to repent of my sins. You can't do that if you're a sinner because your whole life is sin. The only thing you can do is say, Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus come into my life. So what we do as sinners to get converted is not what we promise God to give him. It's what we say we'll receive from God, which is Jesus. I know you may say that's, that's, that's pinching pennies or that's kind of small, but it's absolutely the truth. If you think that, that uh, it's forgiveness of sins as a sinner, you'll always leave out a hundred million of them. Well, how are you going to collect as a sinner? How are you going to collect your sins and say, I, or how are you going to have faith if you just say, God, just forgive them all? The new birth forgives them all. But you get the new birth, then the forgiveness of sins. Not saying, I'll make a deal under the law, under works, to say, God, I'll, I'll repent of them. Would you, would, you, would you save me? Are y'all getting this? It's, it's, it's like I said, it's... Uh, it's important, though. So, uh, uh, Colossians chapter 1. Let's turn there. We got just a minute. Did I say a minute? <laughs> Excuse me. I misspoke. <laughs> chapter 1 of Colossians. This won't take long. I'm always right. I'm always right. The devil will say, you're wrong. We take nothing from him. We take no counsel. We take no advice. We take no judgment. From him. We only take our judgment from God, from the Word. And he says, You're always right. Well, what about if I sin? Well, you know, the sin when you're a sinner is not really sin, it's all sin, but it's none sin. It's just, it's your nature and you can't do anything else about it. But once you get born again, your sin nature is taken out of you, it's annihilated, destroyed, it's, it's vanquished and taken away. Like I said, I don't know where it goes, but it's taken away from you. And it's no longer within the realm of your life, your old man. A new nature has come in. But now the new nature, it can't, it can't, it can't buffalo your, your flesh, your mind, your old habits and all that. So it takes a little while. We, we always, uh, Sandy Brown was a, uh, was a cocktail waitress at the Bunny Club. I think it was Nashville. I mean, she, she, you know what, a Playboy Bunny Club, you've heard of it. Well, anyway, and uh, she got saved. And she would go outside of the club in her bunny suit and, get pe and hand out tracts. And she'd say, oh, you've got to get Jesus. 
I just got Jesus this week, and he, he changed my life. But she's in this outfit, which is not traditional religious garb to hand out tracts. You go, well, how can that be? Because she was changed on the inside, but she hadn't got anything going on the outside yet, but it didn't matter. The inside was going to change the outside. It was going to change everything, but maybe not that day. Do you all have that experience? It didn't all go that day. Born again instantly, but transformed in the renewing of her mind over a period of time. So in Colossians chapter 1, look in verse 12. It says, it says, uh, let's see if I'm in the right place. This doesn't look right. Oh, you don't want to do that. Okay, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, or qualified, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. Thanks be unto the Father who hath qualified me, qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of what? The saints in light. Who hath delivered me, us, who hath delivered us from the power, the authority of darkness. Sounds like the new birth. And hath translated, carried away, us into the kingdom of his dear son. It happened. Does it say it happened? It's saying it's, this is, it's happened. Not like, well, if y'all will tighten up a little bit on your, your, your nightlife, you know, this could happen. And in whom, in whom we have right now redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, speaking of Jesus, for by him were all things created. Where? That are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things Look, 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 and by him, all things consist. All things. There is nothing going on that he's not the head of, the creator of, and the finisher of. There is no devil domain and dark domain. It's all his domain. But the devil's just a rebel. But we all rebel. You go, not me. Yeah, you do. Your flesh has got rebel all over it. And we're subjugating it. We're putting it under. We're, we're buffeting our body. We're, 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 we're bringing our captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. But the process is ongoing. And it says uh, in verse 18, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That means there's other born from the dead. How many of y'all know we all hung on the cross? You go, I wasn't born then. Yeah, we are, we're, we're in him. He's in us. We were on the We died with him. Galatians 2.20. That in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself to, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. He made a bridge in the body of his flesh through death 
to present you, that means everybody, to present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. To present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. I'm always right. Even when I'm wrong. Yep, that's wrong. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. You should have said this and you should have done that. I'm right. Because he's the judge. And he sees me in him. He only sees us in him. There is no other seeing. Ah, you got there behind Jesus. You got out of his way. So now I'm going to judge you. Nope. We're always in him. And it's never going to change. Praise God. So this man that we've become has been a sinner with a sin nature. But now listen, the old man, excuse me, the new creation has no connection to sin. I know it sounds like that's easy enough to think, but if you think about it, you go, wow, that's... uh, The new man we are has no connection to sin. Next week we may talk about how we were sealed by the Holy Ghost. Adam was not sealed, so he was able to be refathered from above the wrong way. But we've been sealed by the Holy Ghost. And once you're born again, you're sealed. And sin can't touch you in your spirit man. Sin can't touch you. It's in your flesh, it's in your soul, but sin can't touch the real you. All that stuff's going to stay here when we go up. That's who we are judged by God, is by this part down here. And sin can't touch us down there. So uh, this... this uh, this new man has never been touched by sin. Because when did we get... What, what happened to our sin when we got born again? We stepped into a new creation. So this new man, since the new birth, has never been touched by sin. As a sinner, I was racked with sin. It was everything. I had a nature of sin. Everything that I thought about or could do or planned was based in sin, rebellion from God, uh, rebellion to God. But now... I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, and instantly I have become new in Him. So the old man that we were died on the cross with Jesus. Get that. We're talking about the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Never been touched by sin. You go, well, I have messed up. We're talking about in our flesh, but not in our spirit. And nothing, nothing, God, nothing is mattering to heaven in your flesh and in your soul. That's not who you are. It's what you have. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. But only the part that God's working with is our spirit man. So our born-again spirit man is not under the jurisdiction of death. There's no death in us. And you'll hear people talk about uh, uh, just broke his heart or they have a wounded spirit or uh, they have a wounded, wounded spirit. All of that's bogus. None of that. We do have things in our soul where we get crushed, as it were, in our soul. But your spirit doesn't need anything. We've got to get born. We've got to get renewed in our mind so we can agree with what's already down in here. But this part is alive unto God. Fellowship with God. There's no separation. Two scrambled eggs together. And there's no separation. 
So, Romans 6.14, I'll just say this, for sin shall not have dominion over you. So let's say it first person. For sin shall not have dominion over me. Why? The new birth. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a new man. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So you got to rehearse this. Because you don't know what you can have. You, 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 there's no way to go to God and say, I'm asking you for this. I have, and he'll say, what's your basis? Why should I give you what you're asking for? Well, God, I hadn't been here in a long time. Well, God, I've been better. Hey, you'll notice down here, I'm, I've been doing better. I don't do the bad thing I did, and I'm starting to do new things. And that's your basis. And God said, I, I got way many more people that have more needs than you that have been better than you. Buddhist monks are way better than Christians in behavior. I read about a movie star, uh, a Muslim movie star this week that wouldn't do a, a, a kissing scene in a movie. He's a movie star. And he said, well, you've got to kiss this actress that you, you know, he said, I'm not doing it. My religion says no. Well, these, these, these people are moral, a lot of them are. You understand what I'm saying? So we don't, we don't get anything from God based on our morals, our ethics, because we're not even the best at that. But we're the righteousness of God in Him. We're right with God, and we're always right. So don't put up with any of the trash talking from the devil that said you're a worm based on what you did or didn't do, that says you're not getting it. You can't pray this week because of what you thought or what you did. You better not dare come to God this week because you are bad to the bone. No, 10 seconds after you confess it and pray it out and release it, go to God with the most bodacious petition that you've ever put to him. You go, that's not right. Sure it is. Because you're the righteousness of God in him. i got to give some time for God to get over it. Say, we don't know who we are. When you know who you are, get, you know what we do. We know what we can have, and we know what we can do. Because we don't go to him based on works. We go to him and said, it's your favorite coming back. <laughs> I tell God, it's your favorite up here, down here, saying the family needs to have a meeting here. <laughs> Father to son. We need a little talk. We got some, some things we need to do over here that you've told me, and I need to petition you for the equipment, for the access, for the favor. Amen. Amen. Well, let's just, let's just pray on this just a second. Lord, we thank you right now for the grace of God on our lives by the new birth. And Lord, we're not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. Nothing, nothing intimidates me. Now, where you can get in with me right there, go ahead. Nothing intimidates me. No, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm fearless. I'm confident. I'm secure. I, I know who I am. I'm, I'm absolutely situated in a place where the devil can't touch me. He can harass me. He can bring stuff to bear, but he can never win over me. So, Lord, we thank you for bringing this gospel, this good news into our lives. And so right now we take authority over guilt, over shame, over rejection for our past for what we've done and not done. Lord, we confess it, that we did it at the time. But Lord, we will not take any shame, no guilt in this life, because we are the righteousness of God in the Lord Jesus. 
So we stand with Him, and we stand strong with Him. And He's the firstborn among many brethren. But Lord God, we, we have standing with heaven, and we have standing over the devil. We have jurisdiction over death, hell, and the grave. So thank you, Lord. Help us, help us, Lord, understand who we are. And we'll give you all the praise for everything that follows in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Woohoo! Praise God. Can't lose with the stuff we use. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, go out and do something big. Go out there and just, just double dog dare the devil to mess with you. You go, I wouldn't want to do that. Listen, he's already come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's already on you like white on rice. He wants to take you out. He's, he, he is not waiting for you to provoke him. He is a full-time devil. He's after your life right now. So it doesn't hurt anything to say, I'm just going to go make the devil mad. He's already mad as hell. So he, just stick it in his eye. Amen. Well, I bless you. I bless you in Jesus' name. Be blessed. Have a bountiful week. We will not be here Wednesday. But we'll be here Sunday, bright and shiny. Have a great Thanksgiving. Amen. Amen.